Earl Grey for Jeremy? Yeah, the Earl Grey tea's over here. Yeah, thank you. All right, so today we are talking, uh, and, and my friend Austin Murphy's still here hanging out with me uh, just to have a conversation about at this episode of Alul's Cafe about two stories. And I think we need to actually address the fact that there are two stories, at least two stories, going on in the world at the moment in regards to technology and faith. We know that, we, and we say all the time that we live in this postmodern world, and frankly, I don't think most people actually know what that means. They just say words because that's what other people say. But what's fascinating to me is that postmodernism has this notion that there is no more meta-narrative. And yet we keep scrambling for one. We keep inventing them even when we say there aren't any. And so the two meta narratives that are competing, at least for people of faith, and, and that are competing in the world for primacy, I would say. The first story is the story of evolution. And so a lot of people have a lot of different things that they're asking and talking to me about when they talk about evolution. But Ultimately, my discussion with them is not around scientific discussions about carbon dating and layers of soil and all that other kind of stuff. What I wrestle with and, and what I'm struggling with before we even get to that is the story that evolution's telling. Evolution is telling us a story that says that humans are constantly moving toward better and better outcomes, that we are literally up and to the right all the time. That the history of humanity is to go from whatever form you thought we were in before to something that's better the next time and better again the next time and better again the next time. And I'm not disputing any of the scientific data because I'm not a scientist and that's a whole nother conversation we can have later. I don't know if you like disputing scientific data, if that's one of your favorite It's, it's one of my things. I, I do enjoy that quite often, mostly because I think that people kind of forget that science is not usually solid. Mm-hmm. Scientists and experts, quote unquote, um, oftentimes there's nothing solid. That's why we use the word theory so much. Mm-hmm. If I may toss one funny story real quick okay. your way regarding science and experts. Is this going to get me in trouble with all my science friends? Absolutely not. They'll okay. probably find this one funny as well. They might even know it. So you know the Wright brothers, the sure. ones who created the first aircraft. Mm-hmm. They were the ones mm-hmm. that got man off the ground. What legendary brothers they were. Sure. So during that time... Uh, during around that year, New York Times, the, the, the newspaper, they had put up an article on their, on their newspaper. And the article stated that according to scientific experts, according to all their research and all of this stuff that they had done, it would take roughly, roughly, mind you, one million years before humanity would ever find a way to get off the ground and fly. The very next week, the Wright brothers had gotten off the ground with their own little aircraft. <laughs> yeah. There's an old line that I tell my students all the time that says, the one who says it can't be done is usually passed by the one who's doing it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's not possible. Well, watch me do it. Exactly. Um, and and I, first of all, I want to acknowledge something, which, which some friends of mine do spend a lot of time talking about, and I do think is important, that many of those first scientists were Christians. And they were Mm -hmm. grounding what they were working on in concepts that were grounded theologically in the fact that God designed the universe and and actually had intention and purpose in all the things that he was designing. So anybody who tells you that, you know, science and Christianity can't get along, there's a bunch of people having this conversation. I'd encourage you to go check them out. But I'm not disagreeing with evolution on the grounds of its scientific data. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned with the story that it's telling about us. And I'm concerned with the story it's telling about us, not just from history— 
but also the story it's telling about us because we're not just acting out of a story but into a story. Hmm. The story that evolution is essentially telling is that we're going to get better. We're going to be better. That actually you're good now and you're going to be better as we go along. And it might take, you know, another 50, 100, 200, maybe even a million years, but we're going to get better. That humanity is consistently over time getting better and better and better every single step of the way. And obviously, you know, have hiccups, and I'm sure the scientific community will say, well, that, you know, it takes long periods of time, and, you know, there are moments where it's static and it's not really. But that's not actually what's going on, especially when we talk about technology, because the technology that we're talking about is telling a story about humanity that says that technology actually may be the way that we're adapting into the future. Technology has the possibility and the promise of helping us evolve into higher beings who are capable of ultimately being immortal. We could transfer our consciousness from this form that's not going to last forever into a space because our brain is just a bunch of electrical impulses. We'll just transfer that into some kind of future hard drive thing that will allow us to continue living on and on and on forever and we can improve our bodies and we can improve everything else that's a story that in essence at its base is evolutionary we are Hmm. going to continue to evolve as humans to be future hey we're going to be better and technology is going to help us get there technology is good humans are good and we should just follow it because it's gonna lead us all the way up into the right Everything's going to go great <laughs> if we just ride the evolutionary adaptation that technology will provide humans as we move into the future. Sound like a plan? Eh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, maybe not. It's not necessarily always going to make us... Because when we improved our weapons, we turned out to be much more peaceful people, didn't we? Of course. Right. We didn't kill lots of people with them. When we improved our other kinds of technology, we naturally used them for good ends and and through good means. Immediately. Right. No, not really. (laughs) So when we look at the recorded history of humanity, I do not see an (laughs) up and to the right trajectory. I see a lot of problems. I see some things that are really off and part of the reason for me uh, in professing my faith in in Christ and even in the scriptures, my faith in the scriptures to know that the scriptures are true I love uh, one of my favorite authors and you hang out long enough with us you're going to hear me talk about C.S. Lewis all the time as well as Jacques Ellul, this is his cafe but I'd love for, (laughs) if you're giving me my dream scenario in heaven, I'm just thinking like I would love to sit at a table with C.S. Lewis and uh, Jacques and just have a conversation about a ton of things that I've got like questions about and I'd love to wrestle with. Uh, and, and believe me, there's a bunch of other people who would love to sit at that table. So it's probably like <laughs> 10,000 of us. But we got all of eternity. It'll be fine. We can talk to him forever. But Lewis said something that, that I, I recognize because it's actually what helps me in my faith understand how to frame and understand the world. And it says that I, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Hmm. The story of the Christian faith doesn't just help me understand the nature of the world, but it also helps me understand everything else in the world. Mm-hmm. So what, if I'm pitting these two stories against each other, what's the story of, of the Christian faith? And so I use a framework, uh, it's an older framework, it's been around for a while, called redemption history. It sees four movement in the scriptures. Uh, the first movement is creation. 
and and after each one of these movements, I'm I'd love to hear what's in your head because you're going to oh, hear sure. me talk about this, and you probably haven't heard me talk about this before. But oh, my gears are already moving. <laughs> um, so, uh, the first one is creation. Uh, in creation, in the first movement, God creates the world. Uh, and if you want to have an argument with the scientists or me later about how many <laughs> days and how long did it take and what, that's all fine and good. Let's just all agree that the scripture clearly says that God created the world. Absolutely. God created the world and God said very specifically in Genesis 1 that he saw that it was very good. Mm -hmm. That when he made it, it was exactly what he wanted it to be. It was exactly how he intended it. God created the world in a way that he was proud of it. Yeah. And when he was done, it was so good when he was finished making it that he actually rested. Like... We often take the rest thing and we say, well, God didn't need to rest. Obviously not. And we say God rested as a pattern for us. True. But notice that when people rest, it usually implies a completion. Like, Mm -hmm. I go rest after I'm done with what I was working on. Ideally. I'm finished. I'm good. So he creates humans on the sixth day and he rests. He's yeah, I'm satisfied. This is awesome. Again, would be fun to have some tone there of like, what? How, how did God sound when he said it was very good? Like, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm talking about. Probably not. That's just me making it up. I get it. He probably didn't sound like me at all, and he didn't speak English, and it's fine. But in creation, God created everything, and he created humans uh, in his image and likeness. And in that moment when he creates humans, he knows that humans have the capacity for imagination mm-hmm. and creativity, that humans have the capacity to do some amazing things. And as he is talking to the first humans, he's saying things like, uh, you need to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. Fill the earth, subdue it, actually have dominion over it to to create. And, and so there is this create culture, create things, tools, technologies, things that are going to happen in the future. Awesome. Make stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. Make more people. Fantastic. And he saw that it was good, and he knew that we were going to make good stuff out of it. So Mm -hmm. as we finish that first movement in creation, God's intention is being fulfilled. But humans, and this is a fascinating thing that we don't talk about all the time, humans had work before we screwed anything up. Yeah. Before there was something bad, we still had work to do. He put us in a garden with the idea that we're going to name the animals. We're going to make this garden what we want it to be. We can move things around. We can replant trees. We can do whatever we want. He gave us good work to do, creative work, because that's the kind of beings he made us. That first movement is really important mm-hmm. when we start talking about technology because we'll have people that say, well, we shouldn't make things like that. Okay, hold on. <laughs> but we were made to make things. Mm-hmm. We were made to make things that are reflective of him and his goodness. We were made to make things that are reflective of the creativity and imagination he gave us. Mm-hmm. We were made to make things that actually do other things. Yeah. Cultivate a garden. Well, sure, we can sit around and dig in the dirt with our hands all the time, but wouldn't it be cool if we could make other things to do that too? Mm-hmm. He didn't seem to have a problem with the idea that we would make things. In fact, he was encouraging it. Uh, Lewis keeps calling us sub-creators. Everything we create is out of something God already created. Yeah. But it was his expectation that we would, that Mm. we would keep creating. This first movement's really important because it doesn't automatically imply that any of the technologies we're creating or working with are inherently evil simply because we made them ourselves. Yeah. That's kind of crucial. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, if we automatically just rule out, well, we made it, so automatically it's got to be bad. (laughs) Like, well, that no, that's not naturally something we should just assume. 
because he made us to make things too. Mm-hmm. In fact, he keeps making things even after things go wrong. Yeah. We, and he even helps us make things after things go wrong. So there's something there to the recognition that we are created in the image of God. That image is creative. That image is uh, to work and to do good work and to live in the boundaries that he's given us with the ideas and the principles and the structures that he's given us that are helpful to help us flourish as human beings. That end game of human flourishing is crucial as we start moving forward in our discussions about technology because if we don't acknowledge that's really mostly what God was about, how do I help you fill the earth and subdue it to flourish as human beings, to create and cultivate Awesome. How are we flourishing as human beings? Okay, that's going to be an important concept as we keep having this conversation because I'm going to keep asking, how does this help us flourish as human beings as God originally intended? Mm-hmm. That's crucial in every conversation we're going to talk about as in culture, but especially as we start talking about technology. How does this contribute or aid human flourishing? Awesome. And I and I do I do have an actual observation that I had from that topic that you were going into, the fact that this actually is a really good example of where technology, theology, and culture cross over at the very beginning, because um, at one point I was asking another professor, uh, a guy named Professor Quiggle, mm-hmm. I was asking him because uh, he was going into a topic of what makes God so much different than everything else mm-hmm. that exists, and he said. He was saying that whenever he created humanity, that humanity eventually changed and that they continue to change. And so I mm. asked him the question, do you believe that humanity was originally designed to never change, that they were designed to remain in one way that God wanted them to be? And he answered very quickly, no, because mm-hmm. they, uh, because when God made everything, everything went through the most intense change you could ever find, went from nothing to something. Yep. But God was not created. He is not changed. Yes. So... Uh, right there, you immediately have that, first of all, I would think an enforcement of the fact that we were meant to have these four, these sort of free-range decision-making mm-hmm. skills. You now have the ability for humanity to create culture. Mm-hmm. You now have the ability for humanity to create technology, mm-hmm. especially given that God made clothing, which clothing is technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, then, then you take that into theology, where we ended up finding creative ways in which that we could start worshiping God, and God gave us ways that we could start worshiping. So from that very beginning, mm-hmm. we already saw these three branches starting to cross over into each other. Yeah, and I absolutely love that. I I I was blown away by the answer, quite frankly, because I didn't think it was going to get that simple. Like it's it's one of those things that's like it sounds simple once you hear it, but you weren't thinking about it beforehand. Yep. And I think that's going to end up happening a whole lot, especially through these conversations. Yeah. Well, and and even like think through the fact that after God creates Adam, um, and before He creates Eve, He He's in essence saying He brings all the animals to Adam to see what He will call them. Yeah, meaning they were called nothing, <laughs> and then they're called something. Mm-hmm. But they're called something by Adam, not by God. Yeah, like God allowed Adam to create mm-hmm. by using words like God did, because He knew that we needed to create. We, he wasn't creating out of nothing. He was reacting to the creation that God made. But He anticipated that you're going to have to shape this, which means you're going to have to change it. If you don't change it, we're not actually doing the things that He asked us to do at the beginning. Oh, well, what do you you mean? Uh, I mean simply like, hey, um, if you fill the earth and subdue it, you're going to change it because there's going to be more people here. If you you be fruitful and multiply, there's going to be more people here. Yeah. If I fill the earth and subdue it, we're going to have to change it to make room for the people we put here. Yeah. So it can't stay the same. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I'm expecting you to change this stuff. So the change isn't bad. No. And that's crucial that, well, if things get changed, if things get updated, that's bad. No, that's not what the point was. It doesn't mean all change is bad. It doesn't all mean all change is good either. So let's, <laughs> so let's be careful there. Which brings us to the second point. Um, so we have creation. And after that, everything worked perfectly. Everything worked exactly like it was supposed to. <laughs> nobody fought. Nobody ever got in trouble. They didn't murder anybody. And it's all been that way ever since. We can all go home. We don't know what we're ta- talking about this anymore. Um, obviously, that's not true. I, I uh, Sadly, Laughable. yes. Laughable. Well, I mean, you're, you're already laughing at me. <laughs> I was, like, already, so I was about stupid. to be like, hey, I think you're, I think you're misinterpreting here. Right. You, you're wearing <laughs> virtual reality glasses for a world that doesn't exist. Right. Cool. Um, that's not what happened. So what happens? The second movement in redemption history from creation is the fall. Mm-hmm. So we see this in Genesis 3, that humans um, decide to choose another option besides God. God says, don't eat this fruit. They choose to eat it. Now, what's crucial here, though, in, in defining sin for me, because we use that word sin and people say, well, I don't, I don't really know what that means anymore. Or that's a term that we don't use or shouldn't use. It's not making sense to me. Uh, first of all, I think we need to reclaim our terms. So let's be clear. There are there are terms that we're going to say them. Then we should, but we should define them well. So what do I mean when I say sin? This is not everybody else. I get there's other people that would define it different ways, and I'm all good at having you define it as rebellion, um, having you define it as uh, brokenness and selfishness. Totally get that. Here's the way I would define sin: when the devil uh, tempts Eve and Adam as they're standing there, he says, "If you eat of this fruit, you will be like God." Mm-hmm. That's what sin is. Sin is actually our desire to be God, hmm. to replace Him. And and you, some people will say, "Well, wait a second now. You're saying I don't I don't want to be like God. You sure? You sure you don't want to be like God? All right, let's let's just stop for a moment and and make a little checklist for yourself mentally. Um, when someone's talking to you and you want them to stop talking, and in your own head you're going, eh, "Yeah, can you just shut up now?" You had a little brother or sister, maybe you had an older, and they're talking, and you can't stop. You're just like, I just want you to shut up. Uh-huh. I need you to stop talking. Um, when you're sitting in a restaurant, you order your food, and the person behind you orders at the same time, and you see the food come out, you're like, that better be my food. Mm-hmm. You're driving in traffic. The person's in front of you, and you're like, can you go faster or slower, whichever one you want it to be. Mm-hmm. You want the world around you to bend to you. You want to be at the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. You want to be like God. You want to be in charge. You want to be in control. You want everything around you to circle around you and what you want and when you want it, the way you want it. Everybody anticipate my needs and give me what I want. You want to be in control. You want power. The problem is you're not God. So you're not capable of managing and handling all the responsibilities that go along with that. Mm-hmm. So the moment that Adam and Eve choose that, I want this thing. We basically use the word uh, selfishness to describe that now. We, we, we would prefer culturally to use the word selfishness. But what we're really talking about is sin. I want this to be about me. Yeah. Okay. That's the moment the fall is taking place. It shifts. And in that moment, there can't be two gods. He does not have competition. You're God or I'm God. But we can't both be God. So... If you say you're God, then you're going to have to live with the consequences of trying to be God, which means all the good things that I have are going to have to go. And he pushes them out of the garden. And from that moment on, we're trying our best to live on our own without him. Yeah. And 
all of the things that we thought we could manage actually turn out to not be that way. We thought we could manage relationships without him. And yet, literally, their kids are killing each other. Yeah. It's like, not, we're not having to wait multiple generations. It's right away. You can't even keep your two kids from killing each other. Why? Because we don't even know how to do a relationship without him. We can't protect ourselves. We can't actually do the things we need to do to... So, what does he say? After this, you're going to struggle. You're going to have to fight the ground. The ground that should have worked really easy for you, you're going to have to fight it now just to eat. Mm-hmm. You're also going to have to struggle and fight through childbirth because that was meant to be a very different experience than it is now. Not that you can't have children, but that it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. So, realistically, the fall changes everything. The fall means that every single part of us is broken. Mm-hmm. It's not what it was intended to be, not what the good thing he made it to be. We all fell short. We all live with the consequences, and the consequences ultimately of that, if we believe the scripture, is death. Mm-hmm. Death was not supposed to be here. It was not supposed to be part of our experience. And yet now it is. So the fall changes the entire game. So instead of saying, hey, we're on this amazing experience, everything drops out and we're all living in the toilet after that. It's just (laughs) all downhill. And the rest of the scripture involves uh, humans trying to figure out what it means to live life without God. Sometimes trying to get back to him, but most of the time just trying to keep him at arm's length and manage all of this stuff themselves. And yet they still can't stop doing things like worshiping or creating because they were made to do that. Yeah. So they, instead of doing it, actually start, uh, if we read very clearly in Romans, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. Mm-hmm. They start messing up some of this, and, and they damage themselves and the relationships and the people around them so that human flourishing isn't something that is, first and foremost, we're capable of and we're actually going to do. This bleeds into, then, most of the stuff they create. Because they're still going to create, but the stuff they create actually is created also out of their brokenness. And their brokenness leads those creations to be often destructive, to either do one of two things, to allow us to try and control our environment around us so that we can, at some level, say, okay, I can use this to make myself go faster, be bigger, be stronger, be whatever. And, And I'm talking all the way back, and we'll talk more about what we mean by technology later. But the fall influences all of those things about control and ultimately also what we would define as power in terms of how we have live in relationships, both to ourselves, the world around us, and to each other. Those kinds of concepts, control and power, and how we're going to manage those are, are on display when we start looking about how humans use technology. Mm-hmm. That concept of we are created in the image of God, so we do create. But we're also nuanced, fallen and broken. Yeah. So when we do create things, we do them for power and control uh, and ultimately for selfish reasons that get us what we want so we can continue to exert our control and power over the things and people around us because we still think we want to be God. Mm-hmm. And right now we're seeing a lot of effects of the fact that we're hitting a technology, like technological plateau. We're starting to reach that upper limit of the current age of tech that we're in right now. And people are starting to reach that conclusion and realize that things are not quite as advanced as as things are meant to be. Like right now we have a world that is designed to move quickly because technology has been moving quickly Mm -hmm. for like 30, 40 years. 
but now it's and longer starting, yes. yeah and now it's starting to slow down like now we're starting to finally have like a moment where we're gonna have to just start smoothing things out first before we can move forward again and I don't think people are really taking that very well I don't think that people are even seeing it for the most part they're probably thinking that every time that Apple releases a new phone it's a completely new phone with new tech in it when it's really just they took a couple limiters off <laughs> yeah well and, and and ultimately the thing that I'm trying that, that I'm trying to get people to wrestle with and stop and reflect on is okay good you got these things great so even if I could make it go faster even if I could make it stronger even if I could control all the satellites in the world from my cell phone mm-hmm. I could make all of it work however I want to make it work did I still actually not pay attention to the fact that this was still self-serving and selfish and not actually helpful and healthy for me mm-hmm. great it could do those things but actually this is more about me and my selfishness and my brokenness than it is about the human flourishing that could take place all around me if I thought of it differently. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be, and this is this is a key concept that we're going to keep coming back to. Whenever we talk about something that we create, technologically especially, there's never going to be a moment where there isn't a trade-off. Mm-hmm. There is always going to be a, this actually helps, but it actually might be messing something else up. Because we're living in that split part of us, that was something really great that God created, but is now just a wreck. <laughs> it's just just destroyed. I mean, it's awful. And we're trying to wrestle with the ramifications of that. And you see that very quickly in the garden that they're immediately trying to, they actually create a technological solution. They make leaves to cover themselves. Yeah. Uh, by the way, not the greatest technological solution because if you know anything about leaves, especially after the fall, they're dying. Yeah. On a regular basis, the moment you pop them off a tree. Yeah. Okay, maybe that wasn't their expectation, but I'm not thinking leaves would be the best way I'd protect myself. And so what we see and what one author, John Dyer, argues is <laughs> that basically God provides the first technological upgrade. <laughs> that he kills an animal and covers them in skins and goes, hey, that's not going to work. I'm going to make sure that we do something at least to make sure that you're taken care of. So God does something technologically provide for them to protect them. Even though at the moment he's casting them out, he's also doing something to provide for them to take care of them so that they can continue to survive mm-hmm. and hopefully become the kind of people uh, someday that recognize their need for him and come back to him. Pardon the joke, but would you say that was the first designer clothing? Yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll go with design. <laughs> I, although I really don't need to hold, inspire a whole group of people to, like, to this whole like, you gotta wonder if it was a leather jacket though. Just, I'm just saying. I'm, like, I'm, did I'm did Adam have a like? He looked like Fonzie after we're talking about done here. I think I feel like when people, m- most people think about like, oh, God made them clothing. They probably think of like caveman clothing, right? Yeah, like they're thinking of Fred Flintstone and Wilma. Right. Was it like this amazing <laughs> leather jumpsuit that Kanye would be happy with right now? Like, <laughs> oh, this is awesome. I mean, could be. I don't know. Yeah, we, yeah, we I don't. There. I don't have pictures. I, yeah, I have no idea what it looked like. So. Yeah. Th- so I'm, I'm kind of wondering if they're just gonna have that same clothing. But you gotta wonder if God actually made it. Like, was it super like future oriented? Like, had all these pockets and things that they didn't <laughs> even know how to make after that. They're like, how'd you make a pocket? Like, as they saw it start to like tear and stuff, they were right. just distraught. Like, they what are no we gonna do? Time. We have no idea how to sew this back together. And so then they set that as the goal for mankind. Right, we have so, to make somewhere pockets. in some cave somewhere. We gotta have pockets. <laughs> how do we make a pocket? Um, so you have these two things, and in humanity, 
is wrestling with them and trying to, uh, but there's a lot of technological stuff that's happening and it's a mixed bag. There's moments where te- humans use technology, like they build the Tower of Babel and they yeah. start thinking like, okay, this is, there's a fascinating word in that story where it says, you know, God's talking and he says, uh, if they continue to do this, there's nothing that they will not be able to do. And, and yet the, the word do there actually is closer probably to the word make. Hmm. If they keep making something like this, there's nothing they won't be able to make. And so he confuses their language at that moment. They spread out. And there's people who are arguing, you know, well, essentially the Internet's just remaking the Tower of Babel. I don't, I don't know if that's actually the case. I, I would say if it is, just expect a similar result. <laughs> like, you know, you want your post-apocalyptic movies to blow up the Internet and make it all go away. And now we all, okay, cool. That's, that's a, certainly a possible outcome. Not ruling it out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that we're going to get there just because we're all selfish enough that we probably won't work together and come up with a solution that Ever. works for all of humanity. No. Yeah. Um, but there's also moments where God does uh, some amazing technological things with humans as well. Like he designs an ark to save Noah. Mm-hmm. And later, he's designing a tabernacle, and then he's really helping them think through a temple. Um, but he keeps having there, there's this this really complicated relationship. And I think the reason we need to hear that it's a complicated relationship is because of that duality mm-hmm. that we were made in the image of God, but we're fallen and broken. That we create things, but we're also really selfish when we create things. Yeah, we have this great imagination that doesn't always work the way we want it to, but that imagination is always put to do things that actually are about power and control. Mm-hmm. There's never this capacity to say, no, 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 that in and of itself was good. Pretty much everything we're making after that has this duality to it. It has this capacity to say, it's really beautiful and amazing and, and creative design that's imaginative and wow, this is, and also could be used for, we'll give you an easy example, is nuclear power. You could use this to power whole cities and do amazing things with it. Or you could blow up those cities with the same exact power. Like, there's always a duality to the things that we create. So we have to recognize in that duality that if you think technology, first story, is evolutionary and it's always getting better, then why do I keep discovering the same duality that I found in the scriptures every time I see a new technology built? Mm -hmm. I always see this, wow, that's amazing, and it's also super destructive. Why is that a consistent theme throughout? Because, as the scriptures keep saying, because we are both of those things. Mm-hmm. We are made in the image of God and have creativity and imagination. And we're selfish and destructive. Yep. So we basically get to the end of that conversation and uh, we're selfish and destructive. We will keep making technologies that blow us up until eventually there's none of us left. We ruin the climate. Everybody dies and there's no hope. That's the story right now. Right. That's what <laughs> most people are probably going, oh, man, that sounds terrible. But that's kind of where we're feeling at the moment. Because if you stop the story there, I would totally agree. But the scripture doesn't stop the story there. And mm-hmm. that's what I love about it. The scripture says there's hope. Mm-hmm. There's hope because God, at just the right moment, knowing we were sinners and couldn't do anything for ourselves, God showed up. God himself jumps into the story and says, hey, you know what? We got to do this. And what's fascinating to me is that when God jumps into the story, he chooses uh, Mary and Joseph. Mm -hmm. And Joseph teaches Jesus, from what we can tell, how to do some of the work that he's doing. He takes him along. And Joseph's technical uh, title is tecton, one of the words we get technology from. Really? Joseph is working with either wood or stone, but he's using tools to craft wood and stone into things that humans use. And we'll get to what we mean by technology as we go along. But God showed up 
and made things, which is kind of what you you were talking in the last episode about the chosen that, that yeah. Jesus is making tables. Like I've often asked myself, like, so uh, how many splinters do we actually think Jesus had? <laughs> I mean, like you're the son of God, you think you could manage this? Like no more splinters, but he probably did if he's working with wood because i'm thinking like yes yeah, sandpaper's probably not invented at that point yeah so we got to think through you're living in that space as the incarnate god of the universe and you're still standing a table and making things mm-hmm. as you go along fascinating that he chose a thing where you make things rather than where you just hang out or collect taxes or born into a rich family and everybody serves you he came into a space which involves somebody who actually spent all their days making things. And then spent his days in the wilderness. Right. Just out and right. about. <laughs> so, so for me, uh, this next movement is, it, it, so if we have creation and we have fall, the next movement in redemption history is actually redemption. Mm-hmm. That God steps into the story, becomes a human, and walks with us, lives a perfect life, and then dies. Mm-hmm. He dies on a cross made out of wood mm-hmm. that is a piece of technology used for torture. So something good, wood, creative, great. We can make tables. We can make all kinds of stuff out of it. And we see this selfish and brokenness again when we see them use it for destructive purposes. They make a cross that kills him. Mm -hmm. And on the third day, he rises again. And that death that came about from the fall gets flipped on its ear and everything works almost upside down from that point forward. Mm -hmm. The death isn't the end, that there is hope beyond that. And that people who place their faith and trust in Jesus know that that there's more to it than just what you're seeing in front of you. More to it than just the brokenness we see around us every single day. More to it than even the technology can solve for us. Mm -hmm. uh, My phone's never going to give me hope. (laughs) I mean, you can listen to all the songs you want, but it's not about that. If my hope is in anything in that phone, I'll never get there. No. My hope is in Jesus. Jesus, the one who offers hope and the one who offers a way forward. And so the last part of this story really is restoration. Is in different different uh, redemption history constructs call it consummation, but usually I like the word restoration that God starts putting everything back. And what's fascinating to think about is that when uh, restoration happens in Revelation, you get all the way to the end. Fascinating part is it doesn't go back to a garden. Mm-hmm. It actually goes to a city. A city, as we'll talk about next episode, is a form of technology, one that Alul kept coming back to. He even talked about the meaning of the city because he knew that a city is a, is a technology. It is a way to organize and structure things for humans in that sense to flourish. Mm-hmm. So fascinating, he doesn't take us back to a garden. He actually brings us to a city. It says in Revelation 21 that I saw the new uh, heaven and new earth and the city came out, of the, out and here is the new city, the place we will dwell and God will be with them. Yeah. This is a fascinating idea that he restores everything, sets it back to the way it should be. So in this story, there is a restorative nature. There is something in the future that has levels of restorative understanding of even probably what we think about technology. Yeah. Gates, those are technology. Roads, those are technology. And he's talking about doing them in ways we've never even conceived of at this moment. (laughs) So I'm fascinated to see what happens when you can play in that space with God for eternity. Oh, yeah. To see what he's capable of creating and what he allows us to create as he restores us back to the kind of creativity we had in the garden. Oh, yeah. And I think that what we we need to recognize, uh, especially given the fact that there is that restoration there, like everything will be restored. I think that something that needs to be recognized is that 
God is constantly restoring things anyway. Like it's it's in it's in one of the things that he does. Like it's just something that is that he just enjoys doing it seems like making something that's evil and one way or another making it right again whether that be by destruction or just simply changing it um i think probably some of the strongest examples that we could find are related to our faith by itself like let's say christmas that that obviously has ties way back into pagan tradition but those traditions were turned on its head and we made it for god or god made it for himself i should say mm-hmm. And when that happened, I think that there's, it, it was kind of just a clear example. And whenever I'm looking at the history of it, it's a clear example to me that if there is something that goes so far as to attempt to make God obsolete, God doesn't quite take it as a challenge because it's not, but more just right. says, I'm going to remind my, remind you that I'm still here and that I'm still in control of this. And he proves it. And, and makes Christmas or something like that. Well, he finds ways to redeem things. Yeah. Absolutely. He redeems things that we look at and say, uh, this thing can't be used for good at all. And we say, well, hold on. God find ways to do something redemptive out of those things in in ways that we didn't anticipate or imagine. Mm -hmm. And that's a crucial concept in in the idea is that things can be redeemed. Mm -hmm. They can be used even if the purposes were meant for, like we keep talking about, this was meant for evil. God can use it for good. Yeah. That's a that's a concept that we see in the scripture. And and for me, what I keep coming back to is, okay, then is it possible for us as we talk about uh, technology? Because multiple spaces throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's redeeming technology. Mm-hmm. He's redeeming certain things and saying, hey, this is, this is actually capable of doing something that would contribute to human flourishing. Human flourishing, like you would have had in a garden, I can redeem it to restore some of those things to make them what they will. Now, I can't restore it all. And that's the tricky part in living in the space that we live in at the moment is that the redemption has already begun, but mm-hmm. it's already here, but not yet fulfilled. And that's the key to the idea of, so we can't ever, living in that space in between full restoration, everything is the way it's meant to be, we don't live there yet. Yeah. And we're not going to get there while we're still in this space and time before he returns. Mm-hmm. So I have to live with the knowledge that I can. it can be redeemed, but it can't be fully restored. It can't mm-hmm. be fully back to what he means it to be because everything is not put back the way it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. That only happens at the end in restoration. So the knowledge is that the restoration in, uh, is coming, but the redemption that's possible now means that there's hope to be able to use some of this. But the, even the things that we're creating now, even in their redeemed state, don't actually help us achieve the end goal of restoration because that's on him. Mm-hmm. We're always waiting for it from him, not something we're going to achieve or make happen for ourselves, something he has to do. Yeah. So we are living in that space and recognizing that we can use things redemptively with our hope forward on him and his activity and his work, not still grounded in our control as though, well, if we just redeem the technology well enough, we could actually bring about the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. No. And I, th- I really am happy that I think I heard you say something about uh, here and not yet. Yeah, um, I, I yeah, love already that. not yet. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was I believe that was George E. Ladd that had sort of really hammered in on that that mm-hmm. subject. And I think and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think that that's probably one of the strongest aspects that you could probably touch on with a show like this, where we're talking about the things that are already here and then the things that are yet to come. 
Um, because whenever it comes to talking about technology, culture, and theology, there's a lot of things that you could point out, like the, the horrible actions that have been able to take place because of technology, the horrible actions that have taken place because of theology, the horrible actions that have taken place because of culture. You got cultures versus each other. You got mm-hmm. technologies that are being developed. Like it, World War One basically looks like that everyone was developing a bunch of stuff and then they wanted to try it out on each other. That pretty much is how it translates. Yeah. And... Then you got, uh, with theology, you have different, uh, if we're going to take theology to a more broad spectrum where we just say that theology is just generally all religion, then like you That's could a say, little tricky. It's a okay. little tricky, <laughs> but if you were to take it in that direction, then you would have religions versus each other. And if you wanted to pinpoint it to Christianity, right now you're seeing a lot of Christians against each other because denominations, because of different ways of thinking. Sure. Or in divisiveness, for sure. Yeah, and then it, then even further back, if you don't want to take it to the Crusades, like mm-hmm. there was wars started all, sure. over all of this. So pointing out the ways in which that things have already been redeemed, in ways in which that we can see that redemption, because there's so many different people out there that aren't seeing that redemption. They're seeing it as a general evil without being able to recognize the good that has been able to come about uh, from these things, the ways in which the Christians have been empowered by God to use these things and basically spread all throughout the world with their new ways of thinking and their conversations. Um, but it is something that I'm I'm happy that we get to talk about because I want to acknowledge that fact, that there are things that are currently redeemed, that are currently capable of causing good maybe even showing you aspects of god without even saying his name like narrative storytelling and i want to be able to recognize that i want to be able to identify that and see what specific topics could be expanded from that you know what i mean yeah i mean i want to they are good in as much as they begin to reflect who he is Mm -hmm. as the ground of good god is good so everything that we when we use that word good we're actually always talking about him yeah And, and so the question is as we move forward and it begins to reflect his character his nature we can start to say these things are good. These things are moving toward good. Uh, they're already working toward that, but they're probably not ever going to get to, wow, that's completely good. It's yeah. not going to be completely good until he makes it completely exactly. good. And, and so the notion, though, is that we don't have to sit back and say, well, there's nothing going to be good until he shows up. N- no, he's the kingdom of God is both coming and already here. And that's why mm-hmm. when we say already, not yet, we're talking about the kingdom of God and, and that capacity to allow the kingdom of God to infiltrate this place right now to be redeemed by the Son of God, by grace, through faith, to allow us to start to allow those implications and the waves of what's happening because of that to start impacting every area of our life, including our technology and the way we use it, mm-hmm. is a powerful thing for us to begin to reflect on and then actually act on because mm-hmm. it's telling us a story. And, and and I agree with you on the sense of uh, that the narratives are, are so basic to humans Yeah. that as we start to hear the story of what that could be, uh, that story, and I'm coming all the way back to the beginning, that story of redemption history gives us the capacity to act into a new space that mm-hmm. is not, hey, everything's good and it's always going to get better. Hey, it's not. It's not good. Not all the time. That's what the fall says. It's broken. Yeah. 
but it can be redeemed and it can be re it, we can use it to do something in this moment that isn't simply selfish and broken we can actually use it for purposes that are for good moving toward god in the kinds of ways that he wants us to act yep. and that story gives us the capacity to act into a new story not simply out of our own brokenness mm -hmm. and that's crucial as we start talking through the rest of the things we're going to talk about because the story itself is the story that we're living in it's mm -hmm. not simply some story that we're just going to talk about. Well, this is a story out there philosophically that's abstract. It's the story we live in now. We live inside that story because we're all looking for a story to tell about where we are, about who we are, about how we're interacting. We live as people right now in the 21st century that have been made in the image of God, but are fallen and broken, and they're capable of being redeemed because of the death and resurrection of Jesus so that we can live lives after that fact that are resurrected with him mm -hmm. so that we can move forward and use those things in ways that are consistent with that redemption that he bought for us by his blood, hoping and looking and longing for the day when that restoration can take place. Mm -hmm. And the story, the storytelling format of the Bible kind of applies to that as mm -hmm. well, the, the way it was so impactful. I don't think that was done just as like it was a writer's decision i fully i mean if we're going to take it as you know the word is god's spoken word sure. then yeah i think that god had that sort of design in mind especially given how most cultures these days resonate best with storytelling there's even entire languages that are basically just telling stories mm -hmm. um but what here's what's crucial yeah okay and, and this is something that i i think gets kind of just blown by um this is his story. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's like, oh, you're saying history. No, no, no. This is his story. Uh, and, and, and if you miss that, you've missed the first sentence. It says, in the beginning, God. Let's mm -hmm. just stop before we move anywhere else <laughs> and say, okay, so the assumption in the beginning of the story is this. This is his story. He is the primary author, writer. Mm -hmm. He is the director. And he is the primary actor which places us as always the supporting actors and actresses. Mm -hmm. You're never going to be the primary actor because it's not your story. You live in his story. It's his story that he's been telling throughout history. He appears in every single one of those books you just described in the in the Bible. <laughs> and everybody will say, well, wait, he didn't show up in Esther. Yeah, but he's all over that one. <laughs> every single one of those stories, they're all about him. Mm -hmm. This is his story. You and I are living in it. And we can become amazingly uh, capable, best supporting actors and actresses. Great. Yeah, of course. Awesome. But if we keep thinking that this story is us, this is my story, mm, your story inside the larger story that is his story. Mm -hmm. It will always be his story. And these movements are trying to describe the story that he's telling throughout human history. And they give us um, handles to be able to talk as we move forward about technology, about culture, and even about theology to say, well, wait, we can't just say this is good or we can't just say this is wholly broken and incapable of being redeemed because redemption's possible. Yeah. So now we have handles to have conversations about technology going forward. Absolutely wonderful. Well, those are all the questions that I had in my mind. Is there, is there anything that you'd like to mention in closing that maybe would be more just like a, a general application that we could have for exploring this idea of redemption history and how it applies towards technology, theology, and culture? I guess one of the things that I'd love to see, because I've told you before that I want you to have as many conversations as possible, is how, how do you see yourself living in the story? And, and we don't have to talk about that now, but if you've got questions or you're wrestling through that, first of all, just go find some friends and ask ask them, what story do you think you're living in? Mm -hmm. What would happen if I actually thought 
uh, that I was living in redemption history. What would happen if I actually recognized that I was living in a story that evolution was telling as though everything's good and it's going to get better? Well, wait a second. Maybe I'm actually living like that. Mm -hmm. I say I place my faith and trust in Jesus, but I don't live like, hey, um, I'm fallen and broken and selfish. If you haven't admitted your selfishness, I'm going to have a hard time asking you, well, then why do you need a savior? Why do you need to be redeemed? So what does it mean to live inside that story for you? And if you're listening to this today, I'm just asking you that question. What does it mean to live inside redemption history, inside the story of God and what he's doing in the world as part of that story, as someone who is deeply loved by him, his son and daughter who he deeply loves and longs for? What does it mean to live practically for you inside that story? Mm -hmm. Uh, And what are the implications for that about how you could start using technology accordingly? Ask your friends that. Have that conversation. And then let me know. You can email me at profpettit at gmail.com. I'd love to hear both your questions and even your responses. I'd love to hear where you're, what you're wrestling with. Uh, and you can also come find me if you're on campus and, and talk to me. But uh, if you don't have the chance, just email me and I'd love to hear about that. And I'd love to continue to get your questions. So keep sending those in. Yes, please do so. I, would, I, I myself would love to hear what kind of things people are going to be sending you. Well, thank you very much for having me once again. It's, it's been, a, been a fun little conversation indeed. Uh, and I, I'm, a, I'm looking forward to see what comes in the next uh, next few weeks for this show. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to have some people on, I think, in the ne- in next couple episodes that I'm looking forward to talking to. So Awesome. Thanks, thanks for, for stopping by, Austin. Th- thank you very much. Take care. Yeah.